When Emily Tsang's grandmother passed away, she discovered a trove of photographic images from her family's history. Her own parents chose to make their lives in medicine and in architecture, and Tsang began thinking about the parallels with memory, saying memory and architecture, simultaneously transient and concrete natures, are fundamental to the building of societies, to the creating and documenting of histories. Memory stitches together slivers of information, rewinding and fast-forwarding time, revealing a myriad of views, close-ups and long shots, but never anything in its entirety. Memory is never whole. It is never complete or finished. It is revised and edited, both intentionally and unintentionally. Our past is remembered in relation to the houses, buildings, and streets we have inhabited. The process of remembering is a medicine, an act of healing and rebuilding. In reviewing our past, we recognize and reorder our understanding of where we have come from and who we are now. In the current age of technological advancement, we have become indulgent in our memory recording, but we have also become lazy, reliant on computers and machines to store information for us. We take thousands of pictures, but they are stored in a digital vacuum. Our minds are overwhelmed by the wealth of information that is thrown at us, but they can't process everything quickly enough, so our memories are only stored on a superficial level. Our personal history and remembrance of it connects us to the people, places, and time around us. Therefore, when it is lost, when we cannot remember it, we feel severed and uneasy. Memory loss creates a psychological restlessness and agitation as we lose sense of who we are. Conscious of this danger of loss, we crave stability because it is memory which allows us to connect and solidify ourselves within our world. It gives us our sense of identity and thus connection to others. Words of Emily sang in her study, The Architecture and Medicine of collecting history and memory. Artist and poet Patricia Moss Vreeland tells us she first became interested in the concept of memory through the coming together of her art and architecture when she and her husband received a commission to design the memorial room for the Holocaust Museum in Houston. Murphy Mears architects explain that the design integrates on three walls art that thematically addresses remembrance sorrow and hope. Sorrow is represented in the wall of tears by 600 glazed tiles symbolizing the six million Jews who perished during the Holocaust. The tiles are fastened to a steel frame on an east window, allowing direct sunlight to pass between the tiles, providing a serenely filtered light. Indirect light also enters the space from a light well above this wall. Flanking the wall of tears are remembrance and hope in mixed media that fit within narrow recesses in the walls. Opposite the wall of tears is the cemetery wall, consisting of ceramic glass plaques etched with the names of the victims of the Holocaust, relatives and loved ones of local families. A tall, narrow window provides light that grazes the surface of each plaque. Programmatic elements of eternal light and sacred earth were accommodated 
without interference to the essential idea of a single, naturally lit space. Memory, healing, and sense of place come together in that monumental work by Moss Vreeland, and she continues to explore the many facets of memory in our lives, including scientific research on memory and the brain. People who visit the Memorial Room in Houston are perhaps seeking solace and searching for meaning. Meaning and memory are critical for Patricia Moss Vreeland, and the Sordoni Art Gallery at Wilkes University is presenting her exhibition titled In Search of Meaning, Memory Becomes Us, opening this Friday, August 26th, and running to October 9th. Heatherson Cabbage is associate professor at Wilkes and director of the Sordoni Art Gallery there, and she paid a visit to the WVIA studios with John Lacuda of the Riverfront Parks Committee to talk about this opening show of the season and related activities for the community. The gallery is back in full force, and I think the exciting thing about the gallery itself is that prior to COVID, we had a pretty successful and robust program of lectures and workshops and things for people to really come see, experience. And then as COVID hit, obviously things really changed. But we were able to introduce some virtual programming, and believe it or not, that actually really did very well for us. And it was a great lesson. So now as we are kind of coming down the hill from the height of COVID, (laughs) we've learned a lot. And part of that is returning to our context lectures. But those art in context lectures look maybe a little different. We have some that are live, some that are virtual. We also learned that um, many of our constituents still want to experience art and want to kind of get their hands dirty a bit. (laughs) So uh, we had introduced our Art in Your Hands workshop series, which are just accessible little programs where people can literally take art in their own hands. They can actually be making And we've also learned that not just our students, but our community really wants more experience, wants to have better access to our programming. So in that sense, we looked at ways to diversify and introduce a concept called Second Saturdays, which is a family hour. Bringing back like the idea of of creating programming for families to engage in completely free allows them to experience our current exhibition, gives them a little activity to do while they're in the gallery. And each each second Saturday, we intend for it to maybe be a little different, maybe to have different guests on board from other community organizations as well. But it really is a way for our families, our younger art lovers, to really get in, see the gallery, and get used to being there. As we know, little ones really do love to create art. So being able to come in and see world-class work in our space and then do work that's inspired from that is sort of the idea here. And John, you've been involved with Sordoni in such projects. Yes. Starting last year, I believe it was, Mm -hmm. I did the kids' arts projects. It's basically just a sketch, sketching. And uh, since uh, this year is the 150th anniversary of the founding of Yellowstone, I focused on artists who made a contribution to Yellowstone, first George Catlin and then Thomas Moran. And uh, I asked Heather uh, for a suggestion, and she said, well, maybe you could do something a little bit more local. So what I did was I went through the archives. I found paintings by four different painters who painted here in the Wyoming Valley. And each one of those four 
is a different view of Camel's Ledge, which is the northern terminus of the Wyoming Valley. And so what I did was I looked at their works and I did a sketch, reduced it to a line drawing, and kids could color those in. And then I went to the place, or as close to the place as, as I could, and sort of stood in the footsteps of the uh, artists, and I did a sketch of how it looks today. And so there's a, a total of eight drawings that kids could draw. This is designed for really young kids. However, for older kids, we just hand out blank sheets of paper. When we were focusing on the national parks, I asked the older kids and their parents to describe, either in words or in pictures, a place that they think should be treated like a national treasure. And in the upcoming exhibit, which has to do with how we form memories, I'm going to ask older children and and their parents to depict in words or picture a place of which they have a good memory. And uh, the next semester, I think there's an exhibit that has to do with landscapes, so that ties in very directly. There's ways you can get at art or, or a subject, multiple ways. All you have to do is be a little bit creative. We get a sense now that young ones will be stimulated to go see the exhibition, see the works that John has prepared for the young ones, Mm -hmm. and then the blank page for the older ones, and get the cycle going. Yeah, absolutely. And what we're really kind of thinking, too, is allowing the day at the gallery to be an experience. So we have what Jan has prepared for us. We also have another little activity based on like like a scrapbook kind of idea like making memories in that respect and we have one of our staff members who's also interested in reading a story you know like really trying to make it a very free form type of experience when coming to the gallery while being able to take a look at Patricia's work who is the artist who's featured at this time introduce us to Patricia yeah Patricia Moss Reland is a Philadelphia artist and she's also a poet So a lot of her works you will see have imagery that is somewhat compiled together. Sometimes it's in juxtaposition with each other. A lot of times there's text that's either woven through it or broken through it as well. And her research is in conjunction with neuroscientists. So she really is looking at how we really do build memory. And one of the, I guess, themes of the exhibition is memory and place. We have memory and identity, you know, memory and patterns. It's a really, really interesting exhibition. A lot that sort of is interwoven with each other, but also kind of separating out so you can see groupings as to like where and how these memories are actually created. Does she work in a large scale, a medium scale, small scale, many scale? Yeah, you know, often in more of a medium scale, but there are differences. A lot of them tend to be digital collage sort of types of things, but she does have several pieces that are artist books. She has some pieces that are on silk. She even has a video piece that kind of weaves together some of her writing with some visual. And the exhibition does include interviews with her collaborators, the neuroscientists that she's working with. So it really does 
try to give you a sense as to what she is looking at to be able to develop the space around you. We see an ad, is it for the Mayo Clinic, and it is abstract sense of neurons and sparks and that sort of thing to try to give us a sense of what goes on in there that we don't have when we see the dissected brain. Right, Right, right. And she does even represent some of those pathways. So you will see more recognizable types of things that you would see in a landscape, trees, hills, water, and and stuff like that. But we also then start to see these other organic looking forms. And initially, you might think they belong in the outer landscape, but they're actually part of our inner landscape, which is a, a beautiful correlation that she creates. Does that intrigue you, that sense of the actual science, John? Yes. Yeah, I do have a, a little bit of a medical background. Besides being a lawyer, I'm a registered nurse, and I worked in, in, in psych. In fact, that's how I got through law school. I went to law school during the day, and I worked in the psych unit in the evening. So I have a, a, an understanding of that. And I think things can be many faceted. I'm reading a, a set of essays by Helen McDonald, and she's most famous for her book, uh, H is for Hawk. And one of the early ones, there's a quote. She says, we hold our landscapes between head and eye, hand and heart. And I thought that that was very fitting, not only for next semester's landscape, but also the way that we shape our thought processes. She's a a naturalist. She's British. She's a naturalist. And there's a lot of scientific stuff that she talks about, including how the brain makes a memory. And it's not as simple as our taking a snapshot and processing it. Apparently, the new thinking from neurologists is that we actually see things twice. When we see something, we take a short-term memory image of it, and then we take a long-term memory image of it. And that makes perfect sense because we are defined by our own bilateral symmetry. We have two sets of eyes, two sets of ears. We have two sets of hands. We have two lungs, we have two sets of legs. And so this bilateral, this symmetry makes perfect sense. And so apparently it's a backup system. And our bodies, anatomy and physiology, all have backup systems. The most famous are our two kidneys, which really have backup after backup after backup. So I don't think it's all that difficult to relate the science of something with the outcome. You just have to, you have to work with it for a while. Now we're so aware of those illnesses that destroy memory. And we think, oh no, the memories are gone or going, that sort of thing, because our memories have so much to do with who we are. That's that's really true. And I, I know that's something too that Patricia is currently looking at, even just the impact of COVID and the loss of memory due to COVID. So, I mean talk about timely. And I mean, she has actually seen more demand for her work because of uh, people realizing the impact that memory has had via COVID. You will have the event that John and the Family Mm -hmm. Day and all of those things as part of the extended exhibition. But will we have a chance to meet her? (laughs) Absolutely. So Patricia is coming to campus and she's actually going to be with us for two days with a semi-micro residency where she'll be working with students in psychology, English, and DDMA, digital design and media art. So allowing her to talk about how all of her research and scholarship intersects. Uh, so she'll be doing those workshops internally. However, we do get to meet her in public. She will be presenting her work for the public 
And that will be Thursday, September 15th at 5 p.m. at the gallery. And after that, we'll have a little reception and, you know, people can talk to her more casually and whatnot. But she will be here and be spending a good amount of time with us. <laughs> and when is Family Day? Family Day is a little bit ahead of that. So that will be Saturday, September 10th and starting at 12. Heather, you've told us that one segment of Patricia's interests and her work concerns memory and place. And John, when you get people who are perhaps not familiar with Campbell's Ledge, do you get a sense that people, when you introduce them to a feature of our landscape, that they might go try to see it themselves? It's always my hope that I'll pique their interest and spark their imagination, and I'll give them directions. It's actually very accessible. I think it's managed by the Game Commission now, and there are a lot of people who actually have it on their list of best hikes in northeast part of America. There's a small parking lot at the bend in Coxton Road, and I've gone there days you cannot find the parking spot, and I'll see uh, license plates from New York, New Jersey. People actually want to go there, particularly leaf peepers during October. And I usually give people directions. I try to tie Camel's Ledge to the history of the valley, and I give them directions. And what I'm trying to do is just to get people involved in seeing the beauty that's all around them. If they don't see any beauty, then create some. How long does the exhibit remain? Yeah, so it will open on Friday, August 26th and close October 9th. Now, remind people that you're not your grandfather or grandmother's Sordoni Art Gallery. You're in a lovely space. That's right. We are located in the Carabellas Media Center on 141 South Main Street in downtown Wilkes-Barre. And you have parking? We do. We have visitor parking. And folks can park like on the weekends for free anywhere in, in the lot there. What else is in the offing? Yeah, so we're moving forward. After Patricia's show, we'll have an exhibition on David Driscoll and people that were in his circle. It's, uh, we're very excited about this project. It will debut at Wilkes University. It's been a curatorial partnership I've had with University of Maryland and University of California at Riverside. It's a very exciting project. So that will be opening in November. And then we have the exhibition with John Paul Caponegro opening near the end of March called Landscapes Within. Heatherson Cabbage, Associate Professor at Wilkes University in Wilkes-Barre and Director of the Sordoni Art Gallery there, paying a visit to the WVIA studios with John Lacuda of the Riverfront Parks Committee, talking about the opening exhibition of the new season, In Search of Meaning, Memory Becomes Us. Patricia Moss Reeland's drawings, paintings, prints, artist books, poetry, and videos on display. And there will be a chance to meet Patricia Moss Vreeland in a feature lecture. And that's Thursday, September 15th at 5 in the afternoon at the gallery with a reception to follow. We heard John Lakuta talking about what he has planned for Second Saturday's Family Hour. That's Saturday, September 10th at noon. And you can make memories in a scrapbooking workshop and do the work that John Lakuta suggests with young children and slightly older children in terms of creating images from scratch of places that are memorable, that we have good memories about, or the younger ones, those who are being introduced to a very meaningful historical place in our region, Campbell's Ledge, and making new memories through that exercise. And also Art in Your Hands, that's a workshop making memories and scrapbooking 
and that's Thursday, October 6th at 11 a.m., and there will be a chance for us to see this show. It opens August 26th and runs to October 9th at the Sordoni Art Gallery at Wilkes University in Wilkes-Barre, 141 South Main Street. And for more information on the web, wilkes.edu slash Sordoni Art Gallery. wilkes.edu slash Sordoni Art Gallery. And Sardoni is spelled S-O-R-D-O-N-I. Wilkes.edu, Sardoni Art Gallery. In search of meaning, memory becomes us, featuring paintings, prints, artist books, poetry, and videos by Philadelphia-based artist Patricia Moss Vreeland, focusing on her ongoing inquiry about the social impact of memory.